know, one of the questions that I didn't get answered last week, so I want to uh, go ahead and, and start there, was we answered, you know, why Mary, why Joseph, what qualified them, and, and how God proved them, and, and then how their relationship was formed. And it's, it's uh, if you missed that, I just encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. It's on the podcast, on the website. And you can sign up for those and, and receive them uh, just on your own personal mobile advice, mobile device. But uh, one of the questions that I didn't get answered that, that I, I find to be, you know, very beneficial to understand is why Bethlehem? So we looked at why, why Mary, why Joseph, but why Bethlehem? Why this city? And uh, so let's go ahead and take a look right away into Luke's Gospel, Chapter 2, and we'll begin by reading some of the opening verses. And it said, and it came to pass in those days that a uh, decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So uh, why Bethlehem? Why why this sleepy little village? Uh, we discovered last week that, that Nazareth, at, at the highest point of populace, was only 500 people. And uh, it was in a Galilean region that was being governed by Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was... Uh, ruling and overseeing the Galilean region from his office in Jerusalem, but he was he was a uh, uh, he was a horrible human being, and there, there's just no other way to say it. Uh, he, you wouldn't want to have a cup of tea with him. You wouldn't want to invite him uh, to your kid's birthday party. He was just a uh, a very insecure and uh, and uh, narcissistic man. And and he had three sons and all three of his sons unfortunately sort of followed in their father's footsteps and um and they ended up governing in the Galilean region and the New Testament talks about all of these different herods. There's four different herods. They're all uh, there's Herod the Great and then there's his three sons and and each and every one of them uh were arrayed against the ways of God and the plan of God and Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Um, and so that's some of the, uh, the governmental background as, as far as, you know, within this region. It's interesting that, that when we look at Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem uh, isn't even on historical maps uh, as far as uh, a location destination. And, and it's something that was off the beaten path. Uh, and yet it was, it was talking about talked about prophetically that we'll get to here in a minute. But one of the reasons that that I think Bethlehem was chosen is that, you know, God preserves and protects uh, his plans in sometimes places that seem insignificant or really don't seem to amount to a lot from uh, people's perspective. Uh, people look for greatness to come out of sometimes populated areas or large cities and sometimes some of the biggest and the, the most amazing things that God has ever done come from very what we might classify as small or or insignificant places that, you know, you just sort of, uh, you say, don't blink when you come through my town. That would have been Bethlehem. 
you know, because you'll miss it if you blink. Uh, but Bethlehem was a, a chosen gem uh, by the Lord and for a very specific reason. But in order to get everyone in place and into Bethlehem, uh, the government decreed a census, and this uh, census went out to the entire Roman Empire. It was during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And under his reign, the Roman territory had doubled, had expanded twice the size, and he was the successor of Julius Caesar. And we know Julius Caesar, one of the things that, that he's famous for is in, with his armies and with his military might, uh, he brought about the death of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And so these are all contemporaries around the time of Herod the Great and around the, the arrival of Jesus here on the earth. And this census meant that the whole Roman Empire had to be in motion. Everyone, without exception, had to go to their ho- hometown. So what this meant that was the economy was shut down for a period of seven to ten days. So schools weren't in session, small businesses weren't open, merchants weren't, uh, you know, in the in the village squares, uh, doing their wares. Everyone, unless you lived in the town in which you grew up in, was on the move. They had packed up. That means they had to make provisions, uh, take provisions for themselves. They had to take shelter because some of them had to travel upwards to 100 miles uh, to get to the location in which they needed to register. And this registration was for uh, for tax purposes. You know, as the population grew, they wanted to take a census. And from this census, they would levy the new taxes, and from that, they would take care of the expansion of the new territory. So it seemed from a practical standpoint like this was just the thing to do, but it was much more than that. The Roman government was not a a government that was founded upon Judeo uh, beliefs. It it had no uh, alignment with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet God used this very, uh, you know, a monarchy or or even a dictatorship through Caesar to to get everybody in motion and so that prophecy could be fulfilled pertaining to the Messiah because at the time that the decree was given uh, to everyone who was under the domain of the Roman Empire, that would include Joseph and Mary, and they they had to get in motion themselves. And so for them to leave Nazareth, is where they resided, and that's where Joseph's family was from. And uh, Mary's family was originally from Jerusalem, but they moved to Sephora, which was a a very affluent town in the Galilean region, only four miles away uh, from uh, the city of of Nazareth. Uh, You know, the movement was, was happening, and so her parents were were in Sephora. They had to go back to Jerusalem, but now... She uh, was uh, was married to to Joseph, and so she had to go to his hometown, which was the city of David, which was Bethlehem. But in order for them to make that journey, there was at, at least history history says at least three different routes to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And depending on the route that someone took, it was seventy to ninety miles. The average family with children could travel between fifteen and and 20 miles a day. So that was a four or five day journey just one way uh, to get to that location. And that means four or five days of provision going and then getting provision for four or five days back. So they had to, you know, everybody uh, took a bedroll and took tents and it was uh, these people, you know, they knew how to 
to camp and they didn't have RVs and they got on their mules or their camels and their means of transportation, which uh, could have been just uh, just taking one step in front of the other. But for someone in Mary's uh, condition, nine months along in her pregnancy, and Joseph, it took them seven to ten days to make this journey. So it almost took twice as long for them to travel as it took any anybody else. And Joseph was very patient and very tender. We talked about some of the character qualities of Joseph last week and why that really qualified him to be the father, the earthly father of Jesus and just how Mary was mature beyond her years. And one of the things that I'd like to just remind you of is that when the angel Gabriel and when Gabriel shows up, it's a big deal. He's one of uh, God's uh, archangels. He ranks very high within uh the line of authority in heaven, and and Gabriel is the is the angel that brings messages to people here on the earth. Uh, the other archangel that is in the presence of the Lord uh, is Michael. He's the warring angel. He's the angel that when you see when there's a fight and a battle and conflict in the heavens between the heavens and the earth in the spirit world, Michael is leading the host of heaven in that way. But Gabriel is the angel that God dispatches when He has a word for humanity. And he comes and his glory is, he comes straight from the presence of the Lord. And so when this young handmaiden who had been brought up around the things of the Lord because her father, Archippus, was a uh, leader over the scribes. He was, he was one that uh, made sure that the writing of scripture was preserved and was a preserver of the scrolls of the ancient, of the ancient texts of the Hebrew people. Uh, so he brought his daughter up uh, to love the word of God, to know the word of God. So when Gabriel showed up and began to announce unto her her destiny and her calling and God's placement for her life, uh, her only question was, how can this be? She didn't say this cannot be. There's a big difference, you know, uh, when the angel of the Lord arrived, she didn't doubt what the angel said. She just inquired how it was going to happen. And then the angel said, you know, that the power of the Most High will overshadow you and what we conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. And he just explained to her and it said the moment he answered her question that he went back into the presence of the Lord. As quickly as he came, he left. And one of the things that is consistently spoken of of Mary is she pondered these things in her heart. And the word pondered isn't isn't something that, you know, that she just took lightly. It means that she had a systematic or a chronological awareness of the time frame and the events in which holy things had occurred in her life. And she documented that Uh, the early church historians say that both Mark and Luke, as they were instructed by the Lord to write in regards to the account of Jesus Christ in their gospel writings, interviewed Mary when she was in the city of Ephesus in the latter years of her life. She was there because John, who was the beloved disciple of Jesus, whom Jesus appointed the caretaker of his mother while he was on his way to the cross, he told John, behold your mother. And uh, so John was in Ephesus and he was overseeing the work at the church of Ephesus uh, prior to being exiled to the island of Patmos. And so Mary was with him in the latter years of her life, in the latter years of the Apostle John's life. 
and Mark and Luke both went to the city of Ephesus and sat down extensively and talked to Mary about the arrival of Jesus. And that's when everything that she had pondered in her heart was documented by those two gospel writers. And you have more of an extensive writing in Mark's gospel, I mean in Matthew's gospel, and in um, in Luke's gospel. And the reason that I say Mark is that that John Mark uh, was, uh, John Mark, the the writing of the book of, of Matthew was really written by by Mark. But that's another history lesson and, and one we won't, you know, get into at this point in time. Uh, so I'll do my best to stay on task here. So this, this decree went out. Uh, taxes were going to be levied, levied. But, you know, it was a time of unprecedented prosperity for the Roman Empire and uh, sort of the tyranny of, of Julius Caesar and all of the, you know, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, controversy around his leadership and the way that he led and the strong arm in which he was led. Uh, Caesar Augustus led with a softer hand. He, he wasn't as, as demanding. He wasn't as overbearing, uh, didn't exercise his authority, but he had people underneath him that weren't very good governors and weren't very good overseers. But you never see Caesar Augustus being spoken poorly of as far as his character or who he was. It just identifies him for historical reasons and uh, and lets us know the time frame in which Jesus arrived on the earth. Um, so that as everyone is in motion, you know, we can see that God is clearly at work orchestrating the events and fulfilling biblical prophecy, biblical prophecy that seven years was, uh, 700 years prior was documented by Micah the, the minor prophet, in Micah 5.2, he says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. And so Micah, 700 years prior to Caesar Augustus, decreeing that a census was going to be taking and putting everyone in motion wrote about Bethlehem being the location in which the Holy Child would arrive. That, that to me is amazing because everything had to happen at, a, at, at the exact time to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken. And so uh, God allowed the Roman Empire to expand. Think about this. How many, how many things God permitted? God used a corrupt and a carnal government to fulfill a holy night in which Jesus would arrive. Now, I, as a caveat, it doesn't matter who rules and reigns in our government from a prophetic standpoint. Let me say that. From a prophetic standpoint, prophecy that's already been given in Scripture will be fulfilled no matter who's in power and what nation because nothing can stop the Word of God from coming to pass. That's why... The prophecies that are in the Bible are already sealed and they're already in motion to be fulfilled, regardless of how, you know, we, what we think personally about anybody in any particular position in government, the word of the Lord will come to pass. And so, you know, Micah prophesied 700 years later, all of these things begin to unfold 
Mary and Joseph make a 10-day journey, and they make it to Bethlehem. Now, this helps us to understand upon their arrival why there was no room for them in the end. Because they were four or five days later than everybody else. And because of that, there's no room in the end for them. And uh, so let's continue to read down through this narrative. So that answers why Bethlehem, because God foretold that it would be in Bethlehem. And then he orchestrated all of the events so it could happen in Bethlehem and to God be the glory. And it says in verse eight. Um, no, let's go up to let's read again in verse six. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same country, that means in the same vicinity, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the second time swaddling clothes, lying in a manger has been mentioned. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill, towards men and so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the babe lying in a manger and when they had seen him they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds and mary kept all these things and pondered them once again you see that phrase in her heart which means she's chronologically documenting this then the shepherds returned glorifying praising god for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them um so when we started last week, we, we talked about the city of Nazareth and the root meaning of the word Nazareth is a shoot or a branch. And it fulfills what one of many Isaiah's prophecies concerning the Messiah out of uh, the 11th chapter in the first 10 verses. It, it talks about a root or shoot coming out from Jesse. And from that, uh, the people of God would be preserved and would be saved. And so Nazareth was strategic in that it was called a root or a branch. Here's something significant as we get into the shepherds, the swaddling clothes in the manger as we finish out our message tonight was the city of Bethlehem was called a house of bread. So the shoot or the branch came from Nazareth but the life or the food came from Bethlehem. And so Jesus is the bread of life. But his origins were from everlasting, but his shooter's branch came from Nazareth, but the fruit of who he is came from Bethlehem. His arrival, the manifestation, the fruit, the evidence 
of the shoot or the root showed up in Bethlehem. So once again, you see that nothing happened accidentally. It was all divinely explained in the scripture. And that's why reading, studying, meditating on the word of God, it just allows this story to just take on, you know, just another layer, another layer, another layer of the wonder and the amazement of our God, of things that took place over thousands of years of time and yet took place exactly when they needed to. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Remember these words? Born of a virgin. All of those things are now bearing fruit and coming to pass in the world today. And it really helps us when we understand more of this story because it helps us to share with those who have never heard the story the wonder and the amazement of Jesus and why we celebrate and honor him in such a way that we do. So the shepherds in that I've just read about uh, who were in the same country around the vicinity of, of Bethlehem uh, that they were that that uh, Luke is referring to here uh, they were working in a field known as the shepherd's field and it, it's still called that today if you if you go over to Bethlehem outside of the city of Bethlehem uh, what you'll encounter is um, a, a portion of land that is is uh, is not rolling hills but it's a rugged and rough terrain and um, so when we think of, of Jesus being born, we think of him being born in a stable and this manger and a, a wooden uh, uh, structure, and that's not where he arrived at all. As a matter of fact, out in the fields, the shepherds lived and uh, took shelter in what, is, what was known as caves or, ca- or caverns of which they dug out of the hillside and they were uh, safe structures because they were surrounded by stone. So there's some earth out there and there's some grazing for the sheep, but they were constantly moving the sheep to safer and to more fertile places. But where they stayed, there were, uh, honestly, around the city of Bethlehem, there there's upwards to 48 to 50 caverns or caves. And uh, there's actually a church, Church of the Nativity, one of the oldest churches uh, historically in the world, uh, over 1,500 years old. They still have services there on every Sabbath. Is actually built over the cave or the cavern where Christ arrived. And this, this cavern could house upwards to four to six families, shepherds. And so they had some width and some depth and... And you could actually enter in and be safe from some of the elements that were going on. They were also the place where all of the lambs were born. The lambs were not not to be born out in the open in the pasture. They were to be born in a safe and secure environment. And so uh, this is where Mary and Joseph, because there were no room in the inns, this is where they found residency. They found residency outside of the city in a cave, and these caves were fully equipped to take care of uh, a, uh, all the sheep that were getting ready to have their, their yearling lambs. And one, there were two things that, that were there. Uh, there was a reservoir of water. Uh, there was a stone manger. It was not a wooden manger. It was a stone manger 
that uh, the shepherds had carved and constructed that served a twofold purpose. One of the purposes was that it, it was a feeding trough, but secondly was after a, a newborn lamb had arrived that they took strips of cloth, which they called swaddling clothes, and they wrapped the newborn lamb and laid the newborn lamb in the manger until the priest that was on call and the priest would be the pastor or the overseer of the shepherds that were in that area would arrive and make sure that this particular lamb in this particular field where these specific shepherds were residing, which was called the shepherd's field, which means that the lambs or the sheep that were born in this particular field were the lambs that were set aside for Passover, and therefore they were lambs without blemish and without spot. Therefore, it was called the shepherd's field. It was a rabbinical field. The priest came by, and when a newborn lamb arrived, it was inspected, unwrapped, no spots, no blemishes, then it was raised after it was nursed. It was released back into that field. And then upon that year's Passover, it would become one of the yearling lambs that would be offered up as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. So here they are in Bethlehem. They got there because the government said, you're going to, we're going to tax you. But Micah said, no, this is how it's really going to happen. They arrive for the, Five days later, no room in the inn. They therefore uh, have to go out into the field. They are in a, in a cave in a cavern that has swaddling clothes, that has water, that has a stone manger. And it was at that moment and that time in history that Jesus arrived. Uh, I say that he wasn't born because he's always existed from the beginning of the world. This was where he manifested. This is where the incarnate, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is where he arrived. He always has been. He always will be. He's before everything, in everything, and all things consist because of him. But this is where he showed up. This is where he manifested. So when the angel went to these shepherds, which were answering our questions now, what, what were these shepherds keeping watch for? Well, they were watching over... The, the sacrificial lambs that would be offered up for Passover. That's a prophetic type and shadow that when the angel showed up and gave them instructions, notice where he told them to go. He told them that the sign to them would be they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So they knew not to go into the city. They knew that in order to locate this child, they had to go into the different caverns and caves out into the field in which they were serving. So they went with haste and began to go to these dozens of different caverns. And when they went into the cavern where Joseph and Mary were, and they saw Jesus, the Lamb of God, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they knew immediately that's the Messiah. This is the child that has been spoken of without spot and without blemish. This is our Passover lamb. The shepherds knew. 
That's amazing. That is so amazing. No wonder the heavens erupted. And we're going to talk about the angels and the eruption in heaven next week and why that was so significant. But let's finish up our study tonight. Everybody still with me? Let me read what I wrote down because um, I, I don't want to miss out on anything. So, therefore, the night that Jesus was manifested in the flesh, Mary and Joseph, who arrived in Bethlehem days after everyone else, could not find a place to lodge and had to shelter in the many of the caves surrounding the city that housed the shepherds and their flocks. Shelters that came stocked with swaddling clothes, a stone manger in which used to feed the sheep as well as the newborn lambs would be laid upon. This means when the angel announced to the shepherds, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. These shepherds knew exactly what to look for. Signs of the times of the arrival of, as John would proclaim, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world as a lamb without blemish and it without spot, as Peter prophesied. Which means that nothing, not one portion of God's word is void of purpose and meaning. The signs of the time in Jesus' first advent, which came to pass exactly as Scripture had foretold, remind us of the signs of the times of a second advent that we're currently waiting on will also come to pass exactly in the way that he said. Regardless of who is governing or who's in power, God is in control. God is overseeing and sovereignly making sure that his prophetic promises concerning the Messiah and his second advent are going to come to pass just like he did the first time. So that's why we have to stay close to the Lord. So Nazareth, the shoot, brought forth the bread, and the bread gives us eternal life. And glory be to God. Jesus is that lamb in all of the things that we read about tonight cause us to have great wonder and great awe about the goodness of our God. How faithful, how faithful He is. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.